0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about whether or not the communist Chinese government could be charged with criminal negligence causing death for what it has or has not done. A lawyer has proposed that there may be, should be perhaps, a case against that government. We'll talk with him. We're also going to be chatting about something truly terrifying sounding, murder hornets. And if you don't know what a murder horn it is, oh, stick around, because we will create nightmares for you. And we will also ask the question, do you feel at all sorry for a bunch of professional athletes who are losing $200,000 a day because games aren't being played right now? Thought so.
1: We'll talk about it. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: I'm wondering as we start today if you've ever heard of the five Eyes. You haven't it's an intelligence alliance of five western countries canada australia the us uh, the uk and new zealand and on the weekend a report by this group was apparently leaked to the daily telegraph in australia who which wrote a story about what it found in this 15 page report and it alleges this report that the communist chinese government hid or destroyed evidence about the initial outbreak of coronavirus this report as written by the Daily Telegraph, allegedly says China misled the world about human-to-human transmission. It buried uh, traces of the disease at home. It censored information. It stonewalled other countries' requests for samples. So if this is true, and I haven't seen the 15-page report, I'm going by what the Daily Telegraph has written, but if this is true, then what? Well, a lawyer and a media analyst on the weekend posted this on Twitter. This is a quote. A compelling indictment against the china communist party could and should be made by a seasoned canadian prosecutor for criminal negligence causing death for each canadian life lost seeking massive damages as well no matter how geopolitically feckless canada really is that lawyer's name is ari goldkind and he joins me now ari how are you tonight thanks for joining
2: us great to be on with you my pleasure Thanks for joining us. Uh, look, I've, I've
0: heard this idea floated in one manner or another before the idea that perhaps other countries or people should be suing China for this. Uh, before we get into whether that could be effective, I don't even know this, is there a mechanism within the world legal framework that allows for this kind of thing, for one government to sue another?
2: So that's a great question. So let's go back a step just to put this in context. First of all, I haven't seen anybody at least anybody in mainstream media talking about actually suing China for the compensation of what's being done, particularly to Canada, and more importantly, the Western world. Because when I think Canada, as much as people have Trump obsessive syndrome, I tend to think of Canada and the United States as very closely linked. You add to that what's being done to Europe, and you have, in my view here, a very clear cause of action. Now, precedent-wise, which is the word us lawyers use, what does that mean in English? It means has something been done in the past to give you the idea that it could be done in the future? And the answer is yes. There have been incidents where foreign governments through different bodies, through the UN, through international criminal courts in The Hague, for example, have been held responsible, including under criminal charges, for things that have been done to other countries. And the reason I said what I said about criminal negligence causing death. Just to make it make sense, nobody is suggesting murder. Nobody is suggesting manslaughter. You could probably make that argument, but that will get us too into the weeds. But criminal negligence causing death or bodily harm, basically in simple language, and I mean to keep this very simple, talks about conduct that shows a wanton or reckless disregard for the lives or safety of others. And if you can come up with a situation now about the Chinese government where anybody, no matter how much you're a believer in identity politics, no matter how far to the left you are, no matter how much you scream everything is racist, if you can explain to me and most normal, reasonably thinking Canadians who know that the Chinese Communist Party, in the cover-up of this for at least a month, didn't show a wanton or reckless and that means criminal by the way disregard for the lives and safety of others i don't know that i could come up with a better example of such a charge so okay so let's say
0: that somebody decided they were
2: going to try and launch a case like this
0: uh you mentioned the hague um where how does this work i mean i don't even know who you where do you even file papers who would hear such a thing
2: Well, first of all, you could do that in a series of places. I mean, you could probably do it, and I'm not going to get into pretending I'm an international lawyer. I don't have any interest in it. I love being a criminal defense lawyer. But you could actually lay an indictment in Ontario if you were skilled in how to do it. Particularly, you could do it at the federal level. And if they didn't want to do it at the federal level, because you did very fairly read out the part of my tweet where I called our government feckless. We're busy being bombarded with assault weapon bans and, you know, people obsessed with the prime minister speaking moistly rather than any legitimate discussion of the hundreds of billions of dollars that this is going to cost Canadian taxpayers. And nobody in Ottawa seems to want to point their finger eastward to the people that created this situation. So at the end of the day, whether it's in an Ontario court pursuant to our rules and going after embassies and the government, and they still have to respond to claims, same as a corporation. You don't get to get away with it just because you're a corporation, whether it's at the federal department of justice uh, point or whether it's in the UN at the Hague. my point to the tweet really was, I'm tired of watching everybody as much as I think Trump can be a buffoon. And there's no doubt he can be. I'm tired of everybody pointing their finger at him as if he's the devil versus the devil that we know, which was a government that allowed this virus outside of its borders, knew it was happening, and has literally caused, and this is the point that's very important to me, and I feel very passionate about, this has caused more damage to ordinary, average Canadians. I emphasize this. Ordinary, average, hard-working Canadians than anything I can imagine while the people making all the decisions, the Trudeaus, the Fords, the Dr. Tams, the Dr. Hajdus, they're never going to lose a paycheck. They're never going to lose their salary. They're never going to lose their job. I'm much more concerned about what's being done to ordinary average Canadians. And the people that have done this to us are going to get away with it. And by the way, I like hearing your dog in the back.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Doing the show from
1: the basement today. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We are chatting with lawyer and commentator Ari Goldkind about the possibility that he threw out a few days, a couple of days ago, of someone in Canada filing a lawsuit, a big lawsuit, a criminal negligence lawsuit causing death against the Chinese Communist government for its handling of the coronavirus, which happens to come, his tweet happened to come at the same time that Five Eyes, which is this spy agency among five Western countries, has come out allegedly, apparently there's a, a document that has been leaked that shows that the spies believe that China did a lot to cover this up and to prevent it being handled properly right off the bat. Uh, all right, when, when you mention this, though, a couple things about this, because it's a fascinating concept. Could, a, could just a private person do it? Could I just assign, let's say I had a family member who had been who died as a result of covid could i go and file this or does it have to be a government
2: thing so scott that's a great question let me again go back a step when i was sent that tweet just so people understand i'm not a civil lawyer i'm not interested in suing anybody my tweet was about criminal liability right and when i sent that out just to make it clear for your audience there's a big difference between suing somebody for money which you can do you could find a very clever civil lawyer and we will be seeing a lot of this by the way We'll see it. I'll give you an example. After the plane was shot down by Iran, you'll recall that tragedy, which is now far from yes. people's minds because of the pandemic. There are lawyers aplenty suing the Iranian government, the Iranian military, on behalf of people's families who were shot down. So the answer to your question is yes, that is going to happen. There is a whole network of lawyers that are, are, are chomping at the bit to sue China. My point is, was much more about criminal liability. And my view, Scott, is that all too often we point our finger at people that are criminals, but they're really not hurting us. You know, everybody has their bogeyman du jour or bogeyman du jour, whether it's Harvey Weinstein, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Brett Kavanaugh, all these people that want people locked up. Fine, maybe they deserve to be, maybe they don't. But when you look at what has happened in this pandemic, and again, going back to what I was saying, even you being stuck at home with your beautiful dog, me being stuck at home with my beautiful dog, all of your listeners who may not be able to make it another month without a paycheck or losing their small businesses, what the Chinese Communist Party has done here is absolutely criminal. And I can tell you, Scott, if this same pandemic was unleashed by the Church of Scientology, I could assure you we would all be wanting Tom Cruise and John Travolta behind bars. Somehow our politics in Canada have become so skewed, left and right, that the idea of those wanting to point finger where uh, blame is deserved, it becomes a partisan issue between the left and the right. And in my view, this is a perfect example of a criminal code which exists to represent the moral disgust of Canadians at certain actions, The criminal code should be utilized here against China in some clever way by a clever prosecutor. And just to your point about civil lawsuits, Scott, this isn't limited to jail time. We're not going to see Chinese communist officials go to jail, let's be honest. But we should be seeking through the mechanisms of fines and the court. If Trudeau won't have the guts to say China should pay for this because there's geopolitical concerns, trading, I understand all the diplomatic issues involved here. But the idea that the Canadian taxpayer, your family, Scott, your listeners' families should be paying for this pandemic for the next 10 to 20 years of debt and taxpayer money, when China becomes even more of a superpower because of it, that just seems disgusting to me. And your point about the
0: the political side of things, I, I understand that for sure. The, on the other hand you know um i've been reading in the last number of weeks as we've been going through this about uh pees where we get the, the protective equipment it's coming from china and that our 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 prescription drugs are in many cases coming from china and many of our goods are coming from china and i look at this and i think okay whether it's a political ramification or something else i, I gotta believe that if canada or someone representing canada was to file any kind of papers or file charges against china we would have massive retaliation against
2: us, wouldn't we? And that, and that's why I was alluding to the fact that from Trudeau's point of view, he might say, yeah, I get that, but I'm the prime minister and I can't get into the weeds. That should tell us something about our relationship with China, about how <clears throat> screwed it is. And let me just take your point about PPE. I invite your audience, just go to Google, read the New York Times piece about while this pandemic was going crazy in Wuhan yes. for the month of December. Yes. And you know where I'm going with this. China specifically took all the PPE from the other countries in the world, brought it to China, depriving the rest of the Western world of all the PPE we scrambled to need, all the Andrew Cuomo press conferences, all the Trump press conferences. China knew that this was an epidemic that was spreading around the world. And in my view, criminally not only did not tell the rest of the world that when you send all your PPE to China, you're screwing yourself for what's coming to you a month later. Now, again, if we didn't live in a stupid identity politics world where everything to do with people that are not Caucasian must be racist, I, again, I use the point, and as soon as I say it, people get it. If this was done by the Church of Scientology, there would be a nonpartisan bipartisan commission to go after Tom Cruise and John Travolta, somehow because it's China, it becomes, if you say anything about this, you're risking getting tarred with a certain label. That is so asinine when the Canadian people are suffering, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this did not emerge from the Church of Scientology.
0: It's uh, it's a fascinating take, and it's, it's something I, I'm positive that as this thing gets a little more sorted out and we have more time and people start to, uh, to reflect on this, that there's going to be talk about this. Ari Goldkind, really appreciate you taking a few minutes to do this today. Thanks so much. Pleasure, Scott. Uh, yeah, we'll be. I'm sure this is not the last time you'll be hearing someone say, what is our reaction going to be to China? And there will be great fights
1: about whether there should be a reaction. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: How is your 2020 going so far? Let's see, Kobe Bryant died, and we've had no real spring to speak of, except for yesterday. And the NHL playoffs are not on right now, and the NBA playoffs are not on right now, and the baseball season is delayed and may be cancelled, and the Masters was put off and may or may not be played. And everything is pretty much shut down. You're getting the idea here. And now just in case we haven't had enough of 2020, we have murder hornets. (laughs) That's what they're calling these things that I'm reading about, murder hornets. And I know very little about bees, except for the fact that I do not want to be stung by them. And those are just bees. Murder hornets, though, I'm positive I do not want stinging me. So what are these satanic-sounding creatures that people are writing about these days? Let me bring in Paul Kozak, who is the provincial apiarist, uh, which I looked up that title because I wasn't even familiar with that one, and it means beekeeper, basically, although probably lead beekeeper, and he joins us now. Paul, how are you today?
3: Hi, Scott. How's it going? Excellent. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no I am
0: pretty sure that if someone set out to uh, sit down and come up with the worst, most terrifying-sounding name for any creature they could possibly come up with, "murder hornet" would pretty much fit the bill.
3: Yeah, I, I won't disagree with that. Um, <laughs> another nickname they have for it is is uh, sparrow hornet, um, which you know maybe sounds a little less uh, threatening, but um, yeah, n- none of it sounds good.
0: Well, okay, now this is not their real name, right? These are a nickname.
3: Yeah. So the scientific name would be uh Vespa Mandarinia. So it's it's basically it's a hornet. Sounds like a flower. Yeah, it it, it sounds kinda nice. <laughs> it sounds beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's it's a hornet, it's native to Asia and uh it it's been found in North America now.
0: So where did the where did the name murder hornet come from? Has that been around for a while or is that something new someone just came up with?
3: I you know <laughs> I don't really know the source of, of that nickname. Um, it, yeah, I, I don't know when and where where that one came up, but um, it's it's been in the headlines a, a little bit more. For sure.
0: No, for sure. So, okay, so if someone calls an insect, a bug, a bee, whatever you want, if someone calls it that name, there has to be a reason. Something has earned that nickname. Tell me about these things. Why would someone come up with the name Murder Hornet for these things?
3: Well, uh, they they can be an aggressive, hornets. Um, really where, where we kind of come into it, and this is the, the Ministry of Agriculture, is that they are known as a, uh, a serious pest of honeybees. Um, so honeybees are actually somewhat related to wasps. Uh, honeybees live in large uh, colonies. They, uh, they're known as one of the most beneficial insects, uh, very important for our food supply, pollination, honey production. Um, and beekeepers have to do, you know, do a lot of things to make sure that their colonies are healthy and productive. These um, giant Asian hornets, or Vespa mandarinia, uh, in their native range, which is all in Asia, they are known to um, completely decimate a honeybee colony. So that, that could be where the name comes from. They do that by uh, a scout, so one of these large hornets is flying out in the environment. Happens upon a honeybee nest or even another wasp nest, will mark it with a special chemical pheromone that basically says, "Here it is." They go back to their wasp nest or, or hornet nest. They recruit more uh, more of these wasps, and they will all come in. And uh, later in the season, for for the the bee colony and the and the hornet colony, uh, these these hornets can actually. Um, Kill an entire colony, and they just kind of hover right at the entrance of the the honeybee colony, picking off the uh, the workers of of the honeybee colony that are trying to defend the nest. They just simply bite their heads off, and when they've killed uh, you know tens of thousands of, of these um, these honeybees, just in big piles of, of dead bodies, they can then go in and then they'll eat the uh, the remaining members of the colony including the uh the developing young bees lovely sounds like a horror movie yeah yeah i mean it really does it's not not a good situation for for a honeybee colony no you you mentioned
0: about the the honeybee now look again i'm not i'm far from a bee expert and my thought is that you know when you talk about honeybees they produce honey and that's lovely and, as I'm getting ready to talk to you today, I'm realizing there's an awful lot more that honeybees do in our ecosystem in the food producing world than just make honey, which makes this a real problem.
3: yeah, so so, I mean, you know beekeepers, uh, they manage their colonies for um, you know usually honey production, but more and more and more often uh, they're they're providing pollination services to growers. so all around the Hamilton region and into Niagara, um, all the tree fruits, tender fruits, apples when you get up into uh, Owen Sound area, and then all the blueberries that we like to eat, and even some of the, like a lot of the vegetables. A lot of that is as a result of uh, coordinated and managed um, pollination services between beekeepers and growers. So um, honeybees are, are a big part of our, our food uh,
1: food security. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show Podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Chatting about murder hornets, and I'll tell you, that Iron Maiden song, Run to the Hills, if the murder hornets show up, that's exactly what I will be doing, <laughs> running to the hills. What a what a name. That's not the official name. Uh, Paul Kozak, the provincial apiarist, is with us. That's not the the official name. There is a fancier scientific name, but uh these things and, and paul we didn't even sort of describe I, I read somewhere the description
3: of these that some of these can be the size of a triple a battery they're huge uh yeah no actually bigger than a triple a battery about the size of um, like someone's you know depending on how big some someone's thumb is but about that big they are the the world's uh largest hornet um so um but you know, with the the Iron Maiden song, Running for the Hills," and you know all the bad news that we've had this year, um I should point out a few a few um you know optimistic or positive things. One is okay. that we do we do not have this in Ontario, at least as far as we know. Um, we have had reports of other very large uh, hornets, and these are ones that actually are an introduced species um, that are not uh, necessarily uncommon. Um, we've had a lot of these reports, but they've all turned out to be, uh, another species called Vespa crab, crab row, which, um, is, um, it's not known to be, um, a serious issue for either people or, um, or, or bees. So that, that's the good news. We, we don't have it in Ontario. The other good news is that, you know, while they did find it in British Columbia and, uh, and then shortly after Washington state, Um, We've got a lot of people uh, looking out for this. Um, We've got lots of networks of, you know, I've got my counterparts all over the states and across Canada. And we've got networks of people uh, looking and keeping an eye out for this um, at the federal, provincial and state levels. So we'll have to see, you know, if this can get a toehold. And then, um, you know, we, we like to complain about winter. That's one of the things we do as Canadians, uh, it does remain to be seen how well um, the species could mm. do in, in, a, in a climate like Ontario. It, it does seem like they're doing all right in, in BC, but again, whether or not these are, are incursions or it's actually an established population, we'll have to see kind of how this goes.
0: Well, there have been suggestions, and again, I don't know how expert the people are who made these, but there have been suggestions that these could move east, but how long would that take? Is that something that happens over the course of a season where we could see those this year, or to make that kind of distance, would it be we're talking years for something to land here?
3: It could be years. Um, like uh, naturally, you know, they, they might fly, you know, maybe ten, ten or, or, or further kilometers a year. It's really the queens that move out and establish a new nest, um, and that may occur year to year. Um, the bigger risk would be, you know, if if they're going to be moved by uh, freight or cargo. Um, which is which is one of the, the theories as to how they got into North America in the first place. Um, so again, we, we've been notifying you know um, uh, people to to be on the lookout. One of the best things that we can do is actually inform the beekeepers, um, not only just to be aware that this is you know uh, a potential risk in the near future, but often they are the first line of defense as far as. Um, having these reported and getting a credible report to us, because uh, they're, they're always looking at what's going on with their bees.
0: And if they saw them, is there a way to stop these things? Like, is it just kill each one that you see? Or what What would the officials do if they suddenly realized that these things were around?
3: Yeah, so, so if, if they were found in an area like, like BC, um, there was uh, surveillance for trying to find uh, nests, you know, was it one nest? Was it multiple in the area? Uh, luckily, they were actually able to find um, a nest in in Vancouver island and uh, and eradicate it. Um, the other concern though, is if any of the, the the queens the next year make it out, and these are the ones that um they they overwinter in leaf litter and they start up new colonies uh, the year after. So there'd be a lot of um surveillance for trying to get the uh, the queens, the nests, and and just trying to see that um, you know that they're they're taken out of an area and are not able to establish early. It's really the early stages that are are critical.
0: Is there any advantage to them? Like, do they provide anything, or do they just destroy?
3: Well, uh, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we always want to be looking at both sides here. Um, it's it's usually very problematic when we get any sort of a introduced or invasive species because um, we don't know what the ecological ramifications are. And, and we already know that they're, you know, a, um, a serious pest of honeybees. And, and we've got enough to contend with in, in beekeeping with pests and diseases and other stressors. Uh, I do know that they are they are eaten in parts of the world. Um, so and I mean, you know, proteins, protein, Um so, so there's that um, they do they do take out other species of of uh, wasps um, however you know we, we also have to look at our own native species of wasps um, even though they can ruin a picnic sometimes um, they actually do uh, provide an ecological role of, of controlling say uh, pest insects like some species of caterpillars so overall you um, we don't want to see this thing uh, get out establish itself in North America. um and uh, unless we start eating a lot of them, which i, I don't see, <laughs> who knows?, yeah, um,
0: not here, this, probably this box... not. No, that I don't think that's going to catch on too much folks.
3: <laughs> no, no, it depends on the lines at Costco. but um it, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, although,
2: yeah,
0: there you no, go. there's
3: There's too many check boxes in the in the in the bad category. So, the good Who knew news that is. our
0: provincial apiarist was such an optimist that he could find new food sources from a bad situation? That's uh, exactly. well, unfortunately I got to run, but it's fascinating though. And I'm certainly hoping uh, we don't see any of them here because I can assure you the day that I'm outside cutting the grass or something and a bee the size of my thumb lands on my head, you will hear the scream from wherever you are. I can, I can almost guarantee you that will happen. Uh, that Paul will be Kozak, our really, report. Yeah, 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 you will know. Paul, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, anytime, thanks so much.
0: Uh, by the way, just uh, for those who wanna know what these things exactly are or what they look like, they're described as something out of a, this is a quote, something out of a monster cartoon with a huge yellow-orange face. Again, they're the size up to the size of your thumb. And uh, someone who was stung by one says it was like being, so, quote, stabbed with red-hot thumbtacks. And people have died from these things. So there's that to look for. And again, because it's 2020, we can almost be sure that this will overtake the entire plan. No, it's not true. Uh, but it is It is a story that you'll be hearing about, because why would you not hear about a monster, a, a murder hornet?
1: What a great, terrifying name. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Let me bring in Don Robertson, who joins us every Monday, as I said at this time, owner-operator of Calm Choice Realty and of the Dundas Real McCoys and chief grass cutter of robertson estates uh in the uh, the dundas heights area sir how are you today
4: i'm good you got yeah? me moving around yeah i'm
0: here you're there all you're right so yes you're yeah, i can hear you just fine yeah no you're uh, i'm waiting for you one of these days to do the show while cutting the grass on the tractor just you know just because
4: well it's a little cool today you could have caught that yesterday So next time uh, I'm going to cut the grass, you can give the station a call and we'll just jump in.
0: Yeah, we'll put a big satellite dish on the back of your tractor and see how it goes.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that'll work. Just attach it to my head. It's big enough.
0: Well, I wasn't going to say it, but, uh, you know, a little self-deprecating humor never hurt anyone. I don't think. Maybe it did. No,
4: it wouldn't hurt you to jump in and say it's not that big, but you chose not to. That's okay.
0: Well, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Don, we got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm shocked week after week when, um, uh, you know, when there's no sports going on. I keep saying one of these weeks, Don and I are going to have nothing to talk about. We're going to end up discussing real estate or something. And that day has not come because somehow things are still going on. And last week, now, I did talk about this on the show, I think, I, I can't even remember now, uh, briefly. But the CFL has requested a bailout from the government, and then the Canadian Elite Basketball League and the Canadian uh, Canadian Premier League Soccer and others are now coming in looking for bailouts and whatever else to stay afloat. If you were running government, would you be giving professional sports leagues bailouts to keep them afloat in these times?
4: I think it really depends on... Probably the state of the league. I think the CFL is in a different boat than almost all of the other ones because it's a, such a gate-driven. I think you're going to see a lot of people, sports leagues, not even including professional ones, like the OHL talking about lots of revenue and everything else. And one of the reasons I think you're going to see them talking to them about it because if you're not working, here's 500 a week. So, you know, the government started it, and others will pick up on it. Do I think they should? Do I think Major League Baseball and the NHL and so on should get bailouts? Not at this time. I wouldn't buy into that.
0: It is I mean, it is a tough one because clearly um, I'm not opposed on principle to governments helping sports leagues, pro or otherwise, under certain circumstances. And I'm not even necessarily opposed in this particular case with the CFL and with others to it. Um, The number seemed rather high was the first thing. And uh, and my fear is now that if the CFL has come in with 150 million as its launching point number. Now, I know they've said 30 million now and up to 120 million later, but that is going to scare off everybody That, that if you come in with such a high number, even if that's just the worst case scenario, you have now scared off the taxpayers. And told taxpayers no don't do this i think it was a mistake to come in that high
4: it is i think probably a a better plan for them would have been to say uh, we're going to come and ask for some help and we're going to let you know what kind of help it is when you let us know when we can start playing i mean right now the only thing going to cfl stadiums in probably june and july are going to be pigeons like they're not going to yeah. play, but they don't know how much they've lost. Like, I um, Baba put a post on Facebook and, and said, you know, what do you guys think about it? And I, I of course, not that anybody cares what I respond on Facebook. You give them $150 million, they're not going to want to go back and play. The owners, it's cheaper not to play. Like, you can't, you can't make it well, that well, lucrative. I think you might have to help some subsidies i mean it is a canadian league we i get that i like it i like the fact that we have our own football league i like the brand of football but i don't know if we can afford to pay the whole shot and the problem is when you open pandora's box and say well then they're liable to come back and say well if we can all only play one home game against each team or we only get five or six home games that's going to affect us next year so what are you going to do next year for me like, it really opens Pandora's box.
0: I, I said a moment ago, I'm, I'm not opposed to the idea of helping of helping leagues. But, Don, when so many people are hurting right now uh, across the board, and we're talking hotels and we're talking airlines and we're talking car dealerships, I mean, literally everything, restaurants, I'm not sure that asking the government to completely cover your losses is a fair ask. And so, you know, you've got a you've got a salary cap of five and a half or so million dollars. And if my math is right, you take 150 million, you divide it by nine teams, that's almost 17 million per team. Like if you had come yeah. in and said, look, we would like you to cover we're gonna ask for the cost of our salary cap to be covered, and we will then, because we've got some owners who are pretty wealthy, we're gonna absorb the losses on our employees, but we would like some help just to buff down the edges of this a little bit i i and i think a lot of other people would say you know what yeah i can i can absolutely see the value in that because the cfl is a league that a has cultural implications and b employs an awful lot of people in this country i just don't know that you can make the case that somehow we should be excluded from any losses when everyone else is hurting
4: that's why i'd say i think they ask for a lot and i think they ask for it too early. Now, my understanding is they, they have set up two, mm-hmm. but I guess the other question I'm curious about is, is the federal government, because their income will be down more than 10% likely already, is the government already subsidizing the salaried staff by 75%? No. Like if the, if, and
0: if my understanding is subsidy, no. Yeah, my understanding is no, and the reason is because that program, now they could, I guess, ultimately, but my understanding is that program had two qualifications, and I don't believe the CFL uh, uh, qualifies because one was that by something like May 1st, you had to have been down 30% in revenues. Well, the CFL hasn't started, so it's hard to make that argument. And B, that only goes, I think, until June, so your year has not even begun yet. So I'm not sure they qualify. I could be corrected on that one. I may be wrong, and if it's extended they absolutely, you would think, would fit under that qualification.
4: Well, I, I think it's down to 10% now. I think they've moved the threshold, but I... Uh, okay. That, that's like, that, that's a moving target every 48 hours, seemingly. But it, you could, they could probably show that their revenue is going to be down by virtue of the fact that they've lost so much sponsorship, right? So if their sponsorship yeah. is down and, and you look at it on a 12 month cycle, Starting from the lockdown, I'm sure that teams' income will be down 10% because some of the sponsors are going, you know, we're not even open. So you can forget about that $150,000. Let's prorate it per game. And then when the games are down, the revenue down, then the Fed would be paying 75% of the wages. So I don't think you can get it all. And if they're getting nothing, then say we're not going to take any, but we're going to ask for... You know a very substantial grant to help us continue on with our operations and the league itself but you can't you know they can't be paying 75 percent of the wages and saying we need up to 150 million dollars and we're worried about next year holy cow that's, yeah that's, I as that's, I say I, I, I think
0: the ask I think the ask was just too big because so many people are suffering that i think that it's probably unrealistic to expect that you would be the league that would suffer no losses and would have to take no no skin off your hide i mean look at, like i'm not i'm not rooting for the cfl to be suffering by any stretch i just if you do it for no, this do you not have to do it for every theater company and every hotel and every this and every that if you're going to say that you are not going to suffer any losses here we're going to make you whole there's an awful lot of people in the entertainment and hospitality and other business like this that would be demanding the same. And you can't provide that.
4: Well, and, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, um, Stratford's been shut down for the year. Perfect example. Uh, Perfect example. The, uh, the lighthouse theater in Port Dover, because you know, I'm a big theater guy has been shut down for the year. So you're right. If you start making everybody be whole, everybody's going to have to eat a little bit. Because some of, the guys, some of these businesses just won't be coming back. Like there's going to be a lot of things disappear. There's going to be other jobs created out of it. Like there'll be lots of tech companies going home and, 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 and working on people's computers because everybody's working from home now. And the IT guy can't do it remotely. But there's going to be all kinds. And you, you're right. You can't ask for all of it. And I think their ask was up to $150 million. But yes. Yes but there were some provisions in there. And I think where the error was likely made is when you're trying to, you know, go to the government with a handout is don't start with the biggest possible number and say, why don't we start here? Right? Like I, you know, what, why not start and say, here's, here's what we're looking at. And as we gradually lose games and sponsorship, we would like you to perhaps help us not making us whole, but give us 75% of our proven losses, rather than say, and if it's 150 million, then it's 150 million because we all understand. You're right. Like my business is going to be down. compto Realty is going to be down because we're not fully operational. Are we selling houses? Yes. Am I going to sell one tonight? I think so. But it's not doing what it was before. So, but to ask for all your potential losses to say, here's what it is. Everybody's going to have to eat some stuff. And i think that's part of your point right like so why if the cfl don't want to eat a dime then the theaters aren't going to want to eat a dime the ohl's not going to want to eat a dime and the dundas real mccoys aren't going to want to eat a dime so it'll just keep cracking down
0: no and and as i say i go back to my point if you had come to the the government right off the bat and said here is the amount that we pay our players we want you to cover that or on the flip side Here's what the other expenses are. We will look after our players, because many of them, roughly half, are American and it looks bad politically if the Canadian government is paying the salaries of American players. So we will look after, we'll eat that side of it, but we would like a grant or something to help us deal with the other employees who live in the communities and work in the communities, We would, and, and, and maybe even for things like paying lease on buildings or whatever that I think you could have people rally behind. I really do. And and, and I, I think the number, when, when I look at most of what was said online over the past few days since this came out, it's almost, Don, almost entirely negative towards Randy Ambrosi in this ask. And I think the number was just terrifyingly high to people. And if they had come in with a more realistic number, I think they would have had a lot more public support behind this, a lot more. And here's the other thing, and I'll let you jump in. Once you've thrown out that number, I don't know how you backtrack from that and then try and undo having thrown that one out there. You've, you've already put it out there. I think now anything you do to untangle that doesn't really help you all that much.
4: Well, that's what I say. I mean, and, and and you would think the CFL would have, would have had a little better guidance when it comes to communications and, you know, I don't run the CFL clearly, but my advice to them would have been from a common sense standpoint, Is something along the lines of what I said here, here are some percentages we would like some assistance for, and it's not a hundred percent on anything. And I don't have no idea how big it's going to be, but you know, if you could, you know, subsidize, like you're doing so many other businesses, 75% of our sponsorship and ticket revenue losses, and don't mention a number. Because then nobody can guess. But if you can get them, everybody would sit back and say, that doesn't seem unreasonable for the CFL. Like, you know, they got to have a bit of a cushion there. If You know, they may have to eat 25%, just like a landlord's going to eat 25% in the province of Ontario because the Fed's in the province. And the tenant are going to pay, right? And so there's, everybody's going to have to eat a little bit of this thing. But when you ask for it all, I wouldn't have put a number on it. I'd have just said, I think these are fair percentages. We want you to look at it based on our survival, because we're important to
0: Canada. And that's the sad part about this, is that I do believe that. I do believe there is a cultural component. Now, I don't know if someone who is 15 or 20 years younger than me shares that sense that the CFL has that cultural component. I'm not sure that, by and large, that generation shares that view. I don't know. But I see it, and I think that there is something gained by saving this league. I do. I, well, I, I. I just. The
4: first Go ahead. prime minister, the first prime minister Trudeau, locked John Bassett from having the um, the World Football League's Toronto Norsemen come in, if you remember, on the day that Don Shula died, and he, they, they they were bringing Warfield Conkle and um, oh, who's the other runner Larry, Larry Zonka from the Larry and, Zonka. And, uh, from the Miami Dolphins, and the Prime Minister said, no, it's going to affect our Canadian Football League, it has tremendous heritage, you can't play in Canada. And they, and they went to Memphis. So the first Prime Minister protected the, protected the CFL, we'll see how, see how much the second one wants to protect it.
0: Yeah, we will. Because, look, once again, uh, the, the other thing that is really tricky about this is that apparently, and, and Canadian press talked to jenna Hayford, who was the commissioner of the canadian women's hockey league the now defunct canadian women's hockey league last week and she said that not long ago before this all happened but not long ago the cwhl went to the government asking for a few hundred thousand dollars to save that league and was told it's not there and it's going to be really tricky if you are the feminist prime minister even if it's a completely legitimate thing under these current circumstances To say, we will give the CFL up to $150 but we couldn't find a few hundred thousand for a women's professional sports league. That is going to not be a good look. It's not a fair comparison because the circumstances are different. But I'm not sure that everybody is not going to make that comparison. And that's a tough one.
1: I don't disagree. I don't know how you beat that argument. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900CHML.
0: Uh, Don, you mentioned earlier when we were chatting about Don Shula, you mentioned that in passing. Don Shula, of course, the legendary coach of the Miami Dolphins, passed away today. Don, is there a uh, is there a sport do you think where coach, where head coach, coach in general, is more impactful on the game than football?
4: Uh, yes. Yeah, basketball. Which I'm one? And pro- basketball you think so? or hockey. Yeah, I think, be, yeah, well, the answer to the question is yes.
0: Why? why especially, okay, why basketball, why hockey over football?
4: Because I think what they can do, like, the, the reason football is, there's so many coaches, they set up a game plan, and then they basically sit on the sidelines and watch it unfold. The guy from the booth is calling the plays. The the defensive defensive side of the ball are all getting instruction and being told what they have to watch for. And that has very little. Now the, the head coach, you know, works with the, the game plan the week of and moving up. But during the game, I guess I should have prefaced that. He probably has the least amount of input. I would think he has to decide if they're going to go for a field goal. I mean, you and I could sit there and watch 10, 10 NFL games or CFL games in a row and we would be bang on 95% of the time when they should try and kick a field goal, right? A five-year-old could, if they, if they understand the game. And, but basketball and hockey are so fast moving, and the intricacies, and you change on the fly so quickly, they don't stop for 25 seconds for a huddle and a break between each play. I mean, it goes back and forth all the time. So they have to adjust far quicker. I would think than an NFL quarterback. And I think most of them stand there with their arms folded and listen on the headset and see what's being called. They can have some input. They don't have near as good a look at the stadium or at the field as the guy up in the booth.
0: See, I I look at that and I go, okay, like I look at a guy like Bill Belichick and I think Bill Belichick has so much more of an impact in my mind on any game than any coach in any other sport. And that's not an insult against the other sports. I just look and I think, you, you've you've decided what the game plan is. You've watched the film, you've broken it down. Even if it's not calling individual plays one after another, you have impacted that game by your decision on how we're going to attack that team more than you would in basketball or hockey, where you're absolutely right. The game is moving so quickly. You can't be, you know, as, as, a, as a hockey team is going up on the ice on a three on two, you can't be giving instructions to the player who has the puck about what he should do with it. He's going to do with it what his creativity allows him to do with it. Whereas you can, before a play, tell a quarterback where he's going to go with a ball to some reasonable degree of accuracy.
4: Of, of course, there's always going to be that creativity in hockey and everything else. But the coach's job is to say, you know what, they're working it down low because they're trying to use the back door, which is just a shot straight across the um, uh, the crease, in essence, for the guy to be able to bang it in. Those are the kind of things that you have to coach immediately and watch out when these guys are out there, and they're going to be out there to go now because they're out there now. So just pay attention to that kind of thing. Again, football don't have that immediacy. I think the coaches have great impact in the game plan, but I don't think they have as big an amp- impact on the execution during the
1: game.
0: How much has that That's changed for hockey, though, no no and how much has that changed do you think in hockey in the last number of years it let's say 20 years or so now that you have guys up in the press box with headsets talking to the bench whereas once upon the time once upon a time the hockey coach was i mean once upon a time he was down there by himself and then maybe he had one assistant um the the game the way coaching is done in hockey has certainly changed from once upon a time
4: oh absolutely i mean it it, they're all far more technical but Generally speaking, the um, the guy in the booth is only generally talking about line matching and a different kind of a breakout. They're going to say, you know what? We we try to defend against this all day because they don't have weeks to do it. You know, because there and that's another reason. There's so many games in basketball, basketball and hockey. They have to do that that kind of thing on the fly because they're maybe playing back to back. And the guy upstairs says, you know that stuff we thought these guys were going to do? They're doing something totally different tonight. So you better be conscious of that. Don't worry about them, you know, shooting the guy up to the far along the wall in the far blue light. They're not using that play. So it's all instantaneous in-game adjustments on the fly.
0: That's hard. It is. Oh, no, look, I think that coaches, and you and I have had this discussion before, I think that there are times when coaches are overcoaching, but I also do think that, especially in 2020 now with the technology and the replay and the the camera angles and everything else, I think that it's never been more complicated in any sport than it ever has been before. And the, the ability to separate a good coach from a really terrible coach who may be able to sell himself as a good coach, but then when he gets into the game, it's pretty obvious he doesn't know what he's doing. I think it's never been more clear.
4: So you're always, when we have conversations, always saying, but you can't always bring up the the um, the exception to the rule, right? Like whether you're talking about minor midget players going away from home to make a team, and then the odd guy really does well, and you say, see, it works. Well, yeah, it works because it works one in 100 or one in mm-hmm. 75. You've, you've taken maybe, well, for sure, the greatest modern-day NFL coach around and used, to, used him as your example, which yes. I understand. There are very few guys that have that ability, and he may be more impactful uh, as a football coach than anybody we've seen since Don Shula, as uh, for an example.
0: Oh, and that's my point. Don, that's my point. I agree. I think in 2020 now, there are guys who get jobs every year. For example, in the NFL, there are guys who get jobs every year. And the team says, oh, this guy is going to be the next great guy. And within a few games, you can see that he isn't that guy, but he's been able to sell himself to the owner or sell himself to the general manager. But with the, with the stuff that we have at our disposal or coaches have at their disposal now in this era the good coaches, you can see who the good coaches are, and you can see who the bad coaches are, really easily. It's really hard to hide if you are not up to the standard of some of the other guys in the league.
4: Yes, and 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 you know, every coach now, and every almost every new coach, never comes in with the confidence because it's, if it's their first gig in the NFL or the NHL, like we've talked about this before, lots of people talk about it. The reason the NHL started getting boring because guys were coaching not to lose because the fewer games they lost, the longer they could stay in the league rather than Balachuk goes in and says, how many games can I win this year? And the good coaches yeah. with the confidence only calculate how many they're going to win. They're not sitting there going, okay, so I got my first gig. I didn't get it because they won the Super Bowl last year. I got it because they sucked. And now... If I can get to seven wins, I can likely keep my job. So how do I figure out how, how to only lose, you know, 12 or whatever the number is? And that's their mindset. And they target games, Scott. Like, they look at the schedule and say, all right, we, we know we can beat these three guys. we got to find four other guys we can beat so we can stay here and then build the program from there. So it's, it's, it's a different mentality nowadays than it was before. I mean, you always had to win. But now the calculations are a little bit different. There's so much money involved in it.
0: That too, for sure. We're going to come back and talk about money. Uh, You, I think, you and everyone listening may be shocked at how many Major League Baseball players this season that's not being played right now are losing $100,000 a game by not being on the field.
1: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Let me throw some numbers out here with Don Robertson joining us again here on the show. Don, 65 Major League Baseball players right now are losing $100,000 a day by not playing. 65 guys, four of them, four Major Leaguers, are losing $200,000 a day. Mike Trout, Garrett Cole, Nolan Arenado, and Justin Verlander. $200,000 a day by not playing. Now, I know what the immediate response to my question is going to be because it's it's an insane, ridiculous, goofy amount of money. But do you in any way at all feel sorry for these guys that they're losing this much money by not playing?
4: Just a minute, I had to grab a hanky. I was tearing up. <laughs> Are you nuts? I mean, first of all, just the sound of that, just – Outlines how absolutely ridiculous sports have got. No, I don't care. Who I feel bad about is the guy that's at the entry level, and they're making more than I am, not you. You know, I don't know what the minimum is in in Major League Baseball. If some of those guys who just signed a two year contract went out and bought their first house based on income, they may have some struggles similar to a lot of other people in our community, but it Really, $200,000 a game? That's ridiculous.
0: Of course it is. And, and and when I say, do you feel sorry for them? I, like, I don't feel sorry for them. Uh, the only side of it is, I suppose, when I look at it and I go, I mean, I know they're making now $40 million Canadian in a year. It's pretty hard to feel sorry for anybody who's making, I don't know, how many times is that more than the average person is going to make in a lifetime? I, I don't even, I haven't done the math. But it's a lot of money to be losing. I mean, it really is a lot of money, either way, it's a lot of money to make, it's a lot of money to lose. I, I don't know, I. I it, it certainly does suggest on what you just said though, that we've reached a point in sports where players have, there's this gap between the players and the people they play for that has become so enormous that it's almost unfathomable.
4: And yet, they get worshipped like they're gods, which is even far more interesting, but yeah, $40 million a year. So I've been selling real estate for 45 years. I have not made $45 million. I haven't made $40 million. So when I've done, made a whole career, and I do okay, but for, I, I haven't done that in my lifetime. My working lifetime, I haven't made what they'll make this year playing baseball.
0: And one of them could That's- get hurt not play a game and still make that amount of money like i i look it it is it's it's a it's a crazy amount that said don i mean that said if they're not making this money the owners aren't paying them to go bankrupt so if they're not making this money the owners are making this money so it's it's like the money is in the game which is the really crazy part about this is that you and i and the rest of the public are putting this amount of money into the game that, that, to me, is the shocking part. Anytime we're going to pull, point at the players and go, you guys are greedy bums. Yeah, but we're allowing you to be greedy bums.
4: That's right. That's right. Because But nobody likes, I mean, Blue Jay tickets used to be five bucks. Uh-huh. You're not buying any Blue Jay tickets for five bucks now. But let's, uh, let me circle back for a second on the talk of what the CFL ask was. Could yes. you imagine if Major League Baseball went to Donald <laughs> Trump and say, you have to make us whole because we well, have just that the Blue Jays. $40 million a year. We're a little bit worried about that. And you're right. Well, good good comment. What about the Blue Jays? If the CFL so go, the Blue Jays are going to say, well, what about our economic impact?
0: We need $200 well, million. Dollars. Are say, well, no, actually, if the CFL is going to get 150 the Blue Jays will need at least five, I would think. Um, and by the way, about, Five about Blue Jay tickets, 500 million. Um, about the Blue Jays tickets, I happen to be in my basement here at the desk I'm at. I happened for some reason, I saw this the other day, and when you mentioned it, I just grabbed it. I have a ticket from Friday, May the 16th, 1986. I can't tell you who they were playing because I don't see it on the ticket anywhere, but I was obviously at the game. It was first base side, and it was 15 rows up, and my ticket was $8.50 with a stadium tax included was 25 cents. What year? 1986. So we're 10 years into the Blue Jays history and you're talking 850 and today you could not get into the building, forget getting into the building, you couldn't buy a beer at the Blue Jays for $8.50. Yes.
4: Inflation certainly has taken a grip of things, and I will tell you, and you will know, there'll be mathematicians that will tell you for the hour, average hourly rate compared to the eight dollar and fifty dollar, eight dollar and fifty cent ticket versus what you pay now is substantially disproportionate.
0: So how do you untangle deal? it? So how do you untangle it? If we know that, okay, so the money is in the system, Don. So either owners are going to make it or players are going to make it. And the answer then, I think the obvious answer is, okay, so reduce the cost of everything. But now you can't really, can you? Because players are locked in at contracts. There's no way you can undo this. This is a, this is a perpetual un, untangleable un, uh, thing.
4: No, you're, you're not going to unscramble the egg on this one. I mean, it's going to carry on. The, the, the interesting thing when you hear contracts like that, that the Yankees used to give out, still do, the interesting thing about running those franchises versus CFL franchises, in my mind is, the, the only difference at the end of the year by paying a guy $40 million is how much money the owner is going to make. By going with a full salary cap in a CFL, if they don't have a self-imposed salary cap, they say, you know, if we spend the max on everybody, this is how much we're going to lose. So there's a dynamic difference between cutting your profits and adding to your losses to, I went through that when I ran a minor pro team in Brantford. We can do that, but we're just going to lose more money. i would be a lot more fun if the owner said, I'm prepared to only make 150 this year. Go sign those two guys for that amount of money. And that's what the, for, the guys that can pay $40 million a year generally do. And it's, so there's a big difference in dynamic, and that's probably one of the differences between the CFL and Major League Baseball and the, uh, clearly the NFL. I mean, they have gobs of money.
0: And the thing that I have pointed out here before, but you know, when I, when I blamed us for throwing money into this, a lot of it is involuntary. And I say that like this, the Los Angeles Dodgers have something like a $250 million local TV contract. I mean, it's, it's an insane. So their payroll is covered before they sell a single ticket. But if a TV network, (coughs) excuse me, if a TV network is paying you that amount of money, they're not doing it philanthropically. They believe they can still make a profit, so they're going to recoup that by selling advertising. And then McDonald's or Molson's or Bud or Ford or whomever buys ads isn't buying ads to be philanthropic just to help the TV network, help the TV, help the baseball team. They believe by advertising they can make more profit for their food, but you're going to have to pay for those ads. So, Don, when you buy a beer, when you buy a hamburger, when you buy a car the amount they are spending to advertise is built in. So even if you're not a sports fan, you are paying indirectly for Mike Trout's contract. You may not even watch one second of Los Angeles Angels Angels baseball this year, and I guarantee you that you're going to pay part of his salary.
4: Yeah, it's, there's name association, right? And you're right, some of the people that drive it, like the beer companies that compete for it and everything else. It used to be Molson and Labatt up here, always battling about who was gonna pay for the Leafs. And and you know what? Sometimes those companies will overpay just so they have the affiliation and it doesn't make any economic sense. But you know what? We have to be associated with the Leafs. And they've got it and they've gotta pay that bill. So some of it doesn't make any sense. Obviously the world of sports and the financial part of it and the numbers really don't make any sense. I, a friend of mine was, who knew John Bedoff very well, Scott, when the uh, when they got the franchise for the Raptors, we were out having a cup of tea one night, and I said, how in heavens are they going to make that thing pay? And he looked at me and said, their cut of the national TV revenue pays their salaries. That yeah. will cover their salaries. I looked yep, at him and really it can't be a bad deal. He said, "Now they got to pay down their franchise fee because they paid a lot
0: of money." But think about that:
4: their salaries for their players are paid before they open the door.
0: That's a yeah, lot of cash. No beer before they sell a beer, before they sell a hat, before they sell a ticket. Uh, it, I mean, it happens with the Scott Radley show. The advertisers pay a, a, a huge premium just to be able to be affiliated with the with the program, mostly for Ben's work. But uh, but that's okay. We're, to, we're open to more don. Here's what I'm <laughs>
2: we're open to ask.
0: more advertising. Yes. When you talk about that
4: 1986 Blue Jay ticket that was on your desk, yeah, I know what my desk looks like. Your desk must be the size of an aircraft carrier to have that ticket sitting there front and center. How many things do you have on your desk?
0: No, no, it was in a drawer, and I'll tell you what's in the drawer. It's my uh, first, when I was a spectator summer student, my uh, ID card is there, which is quite a look, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> and, a, and a pair of ticket stubs from the first date that my wife and I ever went on, which was uh, Friday, April 19, 1991 at uh, Hamilton Place to go see Andre Philippe Gagnon, who was like a comic impersonator, yep. and the Blue Jay ticket. And um, there's a few other things in that drawer, but that's, uh, so yes, I, I happen to, no, my desk is actually quite small. I just, um, I don't go into it very often, uh, not the drawers absolutely. anyway.
4: Important, important things tucked away. I've gone from my office, who my lovely wife, Sue, says is now a mess to the desk after I just left it and slipped out to my shop again. So I'm kind of on the road doing the show tonight. I've gone from the house to the right. shop where apparently parent well, it sounds fun.
1: Thanks
0: for doing this. appreciate it. You're welcome, Scott. Thank you.
1: The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.